welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for making me part of your day. I do appreciate it. Uh, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. The number is 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And you can email as well. I don't promise to read them. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not very good at it. I mean, reading, I'm fine with. Reading emails, I'm fine with. Remembering is the challenge for me. So uh, I apologize if you sent me an email. I have it. I've probably read it. I just forgot to read it on the air. I will try to get to them. Like yesterday, we were talking about Afghanistan. I've got some emails about that. I will uh, get back to that later in the program. I want to start today, though, with the city of Charlotte and the unincorporated parts of Mecklenburg County going back under the indoor mask mandate. Uh, This is going to start tomorrow. The rest of the county most likely following Soon after, according to WSOC-TV's write-up by Joe Bruno, county officials announced uh, the decision yesterday, and we heard it live here. With our COVID cases, hospitalizations, and positivity rate continuing to rise, Mecklenburg County Public Health recommends a mask mandate countywide. They are also recommending that the Board of County Commissioners adopt a public health rule mandating masks indoors across the entire county. If approved, it would go into effect in 10 days. To advance the process, we have called a special meeting of the Board of County Commissioners this Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. to discuss the issue, present the proposal, and ask for a vote. In the interim, before the effective date, Mecklenburg County and the City of Charlotte will proceed with instituting individual mask mandates in the unincorporated areas of the county and the City of Charlotte to mandate mask wearing indoors as soon as Wednesday. Each individual town board will decide whether they want to take any interim steps before the effective date of the rule. No additional restrictions are being considered at this time. Right. Okay. So, uh, all right. So the, the, the local towns, the six, we used to call them the six towns. I don't think they're towns anymore. From what I gather, they seem to be cities. So the six, quote, small cities, is that what they're referred to now? The six small cities? Because we used to call them the six small towns. So six, the six small cities. In Mecklenburg County, you guys totally have the right to govern yourselves for the next like 10 days on this matter. All right. So you like you can totally adopt your own uh, mask mandate right now. You can do that right now. And if you decide, you know what, you don't want to do that right now, it's fine because like in another 10 days, then the county will adopt it for you. See, that's local control. Meanwhile, the uh, the countywide rule that is going to be issued here, remember, the Board of County Commissioners in Mecklenburg County operates as the Board of Health. A lot of people don't realize this. And I was actually uh, discussing sort of the history last night. I was on the phone. I was discussing this history with, let's just say, somebody who remembered it, too. And uh, when I going back through it, it all stemmed from the Jack Stratton DSS case, which... <laughs> for folks who weren't here at the time, uh, it was a pretty big deal. It was a very big deal. And uh, Jack Stratton, who has uh, who went on to stalk me and my wife, and now he's dead, but um, he and his wife had lost custody of their 10 children. DSS in Mecklenburg County had gone across county lines to take their kids from them at a house in Gaston County. And uh, the DSS people said that they had fled after the initial visit where the social worker tried to examine the kids outside the presence of the parents. And the parents were like, you can't do that. Get out of here. And they, uh, and then the DSS people left. And so then 
the Strattons all went to Gaston County. They got in with a church who put them up in some big house because they had 10 kids and they were living in like, I want to say it was a one or two bedroom uh, apartment that was a duplex. And uh, Stratton was fixing it up for the landlord. The second unit in the duplex was out of commission. It had extra bedrooms and Stratton was fixing that side of it. They were living in the other side of it, but they had 12 people living in like one or two bedrooms. I I think it was two. And um, the and they were poor. So DSS went to take the kids and they cited neglect. And this raised a whole series of questions about whether neglect is poverty and whether poverty is neglect. And can the government take your kids because you're poor? Also, they thought there was a racial component. I couldn't imagine if this case were happening right now because Jack Stratton was white and his wife was black and the kids were biracial. And. They then um, go to Gaston County. DSS from Mecklenburg follows them over there, takes the kids out of Gaston County, and that raises another set of issues. Did they have jurisdiction to do that? The kids ended up going into the foster care system, and the parents never got their kids back. Well, I get turned on to this story. Uh, I meet with uh, Jack and Kathy Stratton at their house. Uh, I did interviews with them, did the research on it. Anyway, so so the story then blows up. And uh, you've got lawmakers getting involved. You've got county commissioners getting involved. And uh, the, the health director at the time, a fellow by the name of Jake Jacobson, who was in charge, and Tyrone Wade was the attorney for, uh, I think, the DSS system. And so we were battling with those folks because uh, they were trying to, like, and then what was the judge? Libby, Judge Libby Miller, I think was her name. And... Um, they had, you know, shut the media out of the courtroom so we couldn't follow the proceedings because kids were involved. And then, you know, Stratton then starts making this argument that everybody is involved in a child trafficking operation because the foster parents and the system pays parents and they pay them more if the kids are biracial and they pay them even more if the kids are siblings and they pay them more if they're like more siblings. So you have all of these financial incentives to take the kids, he's saying. So after all the publicity... Now you got reporters like cramming into the courtroom to see all this happen. And uh, they finally give him a way out. Basically, the judge gives him an exit ramp. And I think it was like to do a counseling session. He refuses. He doesn't get the kids back. He then he then turns on me and all the other media people. Now he accuses all of us as being part of the the conspiracy. And then his kids, apparently one of his kid is sexually abused at one of these foster homes by another kid. And so now it's like he's saying these are child sex trafficking ring. This is a child sex trafficking ring. That was the that was the story. And because and so Jake Jacobson was in charge of the health department at that time. And then there was something else that happened afterwards. And I forget what exactly it was. But the uh, the, the the end of the story is that they eventually like the board wanted to or they wanted Harry Jones at the time, the county manager. They wanted him to fire Jake Jacobson, but Democrats didn't want to fire him. And. It was like, oh, what do we do? We, we don't we don't want to feel bad and fire him over all this stuff. And so they gave him like some big golden parachute and they moved him someplace else. And they moved the health director like under a different department under Harry Jones or something. So Harry could fire them so the, the Democrats on the board didn't have to. It was something like that. Memory is is a little foggy on, on, on that component. But that's how we end up now having this system that we have. That allows the health director and the county manager, you know, this policy group to hang out and make all sorts of recommendations for us to follow, even though we have no input in that process. But we do get to lobby 
the county commissioners after the recommendation. So it's kind of the same thing. The same thing. Every single day on the roads. Terrible traffic. (laughs) That's why we have Boomer Von Cannon on staff here. Talk 1110 WBT. Pete Callender here. The Mecklenburg County COVID-19 Policy Group met on Monday. They met yesterday to discuss the state of the coronavirus in the community. The policy group guides the counties and the county's municipalities' response to the pandemic. I will say this. At least our own policy group has clearer uh, members, like the member list of the policy group, is far more transparent and clear to us than who's advising Governor Cooper, right? Like right now, I, okay, Mandy, Co- or, uh, Mandy Cohen, the Health and Human Services Secretary, she's advising Governor Cooper. And I think Eric Hooks, the former um, DPS, Department of Public Safety, Secretary, he was on there, too, and the emergency operations director, Mike Sprayberry, but he retired. So I'm not sure who else is in there, but he just says experts and the data and science. That is the mantra that guides all of the religious edicts. Um, we, I don't know who else has been advising him. He says he talks to a whole bunch of people all the time about everything, but don't have a member list. So uh, following the meeting, several Mecklenburg County leaders, including County Manager Dina DiOrio and County Health Director Gibby Harris, held a news conference where they announced their recommendation to implement indoor mask mandates first in Charlotte and then around the entire county. And we'll wait for the soundbite to play. We have to recognize the fact that our schools are convening in two weeks. All of our children are going back to school, many of whom cannot be vaccinated, half of whom who can be vaccinated have not been vaccinated. So we know we've got a situation that could cause significant issues for us for transmission of this virus in our community, especially among our young people. Um, That's the reason we need the masking in our community to protect them as they get back into school. We also know we have a holiday weekend coming up, and we've had significant experience with holiday weekends creating increased cases in our community. So the bottom line is we need people to get vaccinated, and we need people to wear masks. Those are the two things that are going to help us monitor, manage this situation, and keep us from continuing to escalate in our community. We know that COVID is here to stay. We have got to manage it. Vaccines and masks are going to help us manage this as we move into the winter and back into the spring again. All righty. So this is how we manage it. By the way, I think at some point we should consider ditching the term pandemic because now it's endemic. Right. She just said that. Gibby Harris just said that it's endemic. It's here to stay. And I know that it's very fashionable right now for people who got the vaccine uh, to attack the unvaccinated Americans uh, as saying they're the reason why the uh, the spread is is going around again, why the Delta variant has taken hold, uh, which, of course, ignores several key pieces of information, including the fact that the vaccine was not available to everybody at first. 
We had to give it to the teachers first, remember? Well, not really. Okay, we gave it to the, the elderly, the infirm people in congregate care facilities, right? Then we did the frontline workers, and the teachers are like, we're frontline workers too, and they lobbied and lobbied and lobbied, and we're like, all right, fine, you can go ahead too. And I think at last count, it's only like half of the teachers, something like that, or school personnel are even vaccinated at this point. Uh, it's about half of the entire county, as I understand it as well. So uh, there's there's hesitancy among about half of the population, by the way. A lot of people who have not gotten vaccinated, it is not simply Republicans. Uh, there are a lot of young people. There are a lot of uh, minorities, blacks and Hispanics that have not gotten uh, vaccinated as well. But it is very fashionable to blame the knuckle-dragging uh, Trump supporters as the reason why everybody has to wear masks again. This is completely unhelpful. It's not only untrue to a large extent, as I just mentioned, but it's unhelpful. You're not going to get people on board by doing this, right? That, that's that's not the way to do this. And if you think that making me a vaccinated person wearing mask in public is going to make me turn on unvaccinated people and yell at them and berate them and try to get them to make a different decision. That's not going to happen. I'm, I'm not, I refuse to be pitted against my fellow citizens because of their health choices, because I don't know what their choice is. I saw somebody made a point. Um, I forget who it was. I was read. I, I was reading something yesterday and I saw this. Uh, it's an exchange between a person and like their server and at a restaurant. And if you're going to if you're going to card me for my vaccine, then I think I should be able to card the servers and the cooks to see who's got hepatitis. Is that fair? Why not? They could transmit that disease to me. Years ago in Mecklenburg County, there was a hepatitis outbreak and they put out the word. Anybody who's been to this restaurant within the last you know week or so, you need to go and get tested. And my wife had actually been to that restaurant, so she had to go get tested for hepatitis. It was negative, but like that... Well, what, how, how about I know that on the front end going in? So this way, you know, I don't spread it after the fact. How about that? How about any, uh, if I'm immunocompromised? I'd like to know if anybody may be testing positive for some other kind of, like the flu. Because the flu could kill me, right? Do you have the flu? Did everybody get their flu shots this year? Can I have all of those records as well? Like, once you start down this path, then where's, what's the limiting principle? That's the question here. What's the limiting principle? Because right now everybody's freaking out about the Delta variant and they want to blame the uh, people who didn't get vaccinated yet, which I would also point out, you know, that again, that there were a lot of people that could not get the vaccine on the front end. And it, there were there were, you know, prioritized um, distribution of the vaccines, which I understand why that had to happen like that. I do. I, I totally get it. I think Cooper and the federal government, they did that the right way in the targeted groups. Right. It got convoluted and then they fixed it. To their credit, they fixed it when they realized they were getting too, they were micromanaging it too much. Remember, like at the beginning, they were giving like group A and then like subgroup A1 and 2 and 3 and then subgroup 3I and then subgroup, you know, A3B and like all this other stuff. It was just stupid. So then they just like streamlined it, made it easier. And that was better. And I'm trying to give people a lot of latitude in the way they respond to, uh, you know, an evolving situation because you need to be able to adapt. So I totally get that. Um, You have the vaccines then that go out in this in this manner. You are never going to get everybody vaccinated by that date of whatever it was, July 4th, when they were trying to pitch it as that. But also the Delta variant came from India. 
And unless you shut down all travel from foreign countries, then I'm not exactly sure what we're trying to do here. And I'm not sure that the attacks on our fellow Americans are beneficial to that ex- uh, to that end, especially now with the mask mandate now coming back as some sort of you know mitigation effort. I'm looking at a chart right now from Georgia and the lines for the masks versus no masks. And when the mandates went into place, they are identical lines. So do they even work as a policy? We'll get into some of that up next. First, let's go over to the WBT News Center and Mark Muller. Talk 1110-993-WBT, 1235. And uh, the press conference that was held yesterday by Dina DiOrio and the health director, Gibby Harris, talking about how we're all got to, we all got to mask up again, because this is totally for the children. This is totally going to make the uh, Delta variant uh, manageable. That's the idea here, that the Delta variant, the COVID-19, it's now endemic i'm saying that they didn't specifically use that word but that's where we are now right that covid19 is with us it shall be with us forever um and i would also point out just let me take uh, one brief make a brief note here as far as i can tell and again i'm no scientist but as far as i can tell from the data and science the delta variant is far more contagious than do we call it alpha do we call it the COVID alpha? Is that accurate? I mean, it seems like it would be accurate, but COVID alpha seems like way meaner than Delta. I mean, Delta is like, Delta is like the girl you knew in college, you know? Delta does not seem to be as, yeah, not it's not. <laughs> I love the delay on the audio. At some point, how long? how long do you think that might last? How long do you think? As long as the delay is. No, no, no. I mean, how long do you think the delay? Never mind. Um, <laughs> at some point, I'm sure. I'm, anyway, the, uh, the, so you got the Delta variant, you got the Alpha variant, the original Alpha, right? The Alpha had a case fatality rate that, if I remember correctly, was like 0.01%, something like that. And, and I crunched all of these numbers like a year ago when we were first going through it, and I'm sorry, I don't have them off the top of my head, but I want to say it was somewhere around 0.01 something. And the Delta variant is far more contagious. And that's what everybody is talking about. Everybody that does these news conferences and every media report, everybody's like super contagious, highly contagious. It's so contagious. Transmissibility. Everybody's going to catch it and spread it. It's all over the place. But you you don't ever hear people and you rarely ever heard them talk about the case fatality rate or the CFR or uh, the uh, infection rate either. But the case fatality rate is important because there are a lot of things that are super contagious that are not deadly. Right. And so that matters. That's context. So is the Delta variant as deadly as the Alpha variant? And the answer is no. So far, no, it's not. No, but there could be other variants. Indeed, that is true. There could be other variants. In fact, there's already the Lambda variant that's out west someplace, right? There's going to be more. 
the Greek alphabet is going to expire. Like, we're going to run out of Greek letters at some point. And then what? Do we just tack on more and more? And now we are talking about, like, fraternity-sounding viruses. We don't do this. The flu is the same way. And I'm not saying COVID is just like the flu, but it is kind of like the flu in that it's a virus. It's endemic. It goes around the world all the time. And people get it and they pass it. And a lot of people die from it. A lot of people die from the flu. A lot of people die from complications of the flu. And then they get pneumonia and they die. Like, this is one of the ways that people die. Wait till you hear the numbers on, like, heart disease, too. Oh, my gosh. If we did a national response to heart disease like we do to this, heart disease, I think, I do think COVID, I mean, COVID has now passed um, heart disease and deaths. But heart disease kills, I think it's somewhere north of, like, three quarters of a million people every year, something like that. Yeah, it's interesting when you start breaking down causes of death. Anyway, I'm on a tangent, but I merely am saying this to point out that whenever you're talking about transmissibility, I think if you are a, you know, if you're trying to actually keep the public informed and provide context and make us smarter in this endemic, then I think you should be providing case fatality rates. You should be providing the death stats. How many people that get the Delta variant die from it? That is important. It's really important. And because here's the thing. When you don't do that, people like me, and there are a lot of people like me, like that think, you know, superficially, just on the surface, we don't go into in depth on any of this stuff. People like me, we look at what you're telling us, and we have heard about the case fatality rate. We realize that Delta variant isn't as deadly. We see you're not talking about it. We see you focusing on transmissibility. And now I don't trust you. And that's really the problem in all of this. And it's something that I think a lot of, and I I don't mean to use this term pejoratively, but bureaucrats, this is the fatal conceit of bureaucrats. People who work for, you know, GovCo, government organizations and agencies, they think that they make pronouncements and that because they said it, well, we should follow it. Because they said it, it must be true. Because they said it, we, we did the analysis and this is our recommendation. By the way, in case anybody is unclear as to what's going on with the policy group, the, the term you're looking for here is a staff-driven process. That's what's occurring in Mecklenburg County with this policy group. That is a staff-driven process. You have elected leaders who are scared and ignorant on a lot of things. Okay, because they are of us. (laughs) Uh, And so they don't know all of the science. They don't have the time. A lot of them are, you know, doing their own uh, work. They're living their lives. And most citizens don't have the time to be going deep into all of the scientific literature and figuring all of this stuff out. And so they rely on staff because those are the people they have hired to go do the deep dive. And staff comes back and like, here's what we have found. We recommend this and this and this. And then the elected officials go, hmm, yes, well, I agree. That's a staff-driven process. That's what this is. And that's why when media is asking, hey, can we see these policy group meetings? We want we want to see them as they're like what's being discussed, what uh, what preferences are uh, being debated and which ones are tossed out, which ones are added. Like all of those discussions and debates are important. I'm going to go into why in a bit, but the media wants to see them and the policy group, like any bureaucratic group, is going to say, well, no. Because we're just staff. We just hang around and, you know, we do the deep dive and we 
consult the experts and we rely on the science and data and then we make our recommendation and then the local elected officials say okay and if the public wants input the public can do it to the elected officials who are going to have now you know a there is a bias towards the staff if i were to walk down there and say here's my research to say don't do this thing who do you think they believe me or their staff maybe if i cite the science and data then maybe they would Talk 1110-993-WBT. We're all going under masks again. Going to have to wear the masks in Mecklenburg County, at least, according to the policy group that totally doesn't make these decisions. They just make the recommendations that every single elected body always follows after they get recommended. And also, I'm kind of concerned, just like I was concerned about Governor Roy Cooper's unlimited and indefinite powers that he assumed for himself under the emergency declaration or the ED. Um, Just as I was concerned about Roy Cooper's actions under the ED, I am concerned about what appears to be the county managers referencing extensive powers that she and the policy group might be willing and apparently authorized, according to her, to take. I'm not so cool with what I heard in some of the briefing yesterday, some of this news conference. So let's get to it here. This is Joe Bruno from WSOC-TV. He got the first question. 13 media outlets called on you to open the policy group meeting today. You didn't respond to the letter. Why did you keep the public in the dark? Um, In terms of your letter, um, I appreciate you sending that to me. Um, I did review it. Um, I discussed it with the county attorney, and we... um, came to the determination that the statute would not consider this body to be required to have open meetings to the public. Yeah. So we read your letter where you say it should be open. Um, we, uh, we read it and uh, thanks for sending it and pound sand. That's what, I mean, that's what she told him. She did it in a, with different words, but she said, shut up, go away. No, we're not doing this in public because we don't want to. And there's nothing that requires us to do so. So we're not going to do it. Right. By the way, one other point here. Let me backtrack one second. They were talking about managing. Gibby Harris was talking about how to manage the Delta variant COVID-19 right now. You know what I did not hear mentioned at any point in the press conference yesterday? And I honestly have not heard in virtually any of the press conferences that any elected officials have been doing for the last year and a half in North Carolina. Ventilation. Ventilation. When you look at the charts... Again, not a scientist, but I I am an observer of society and people. I enjoy it. I do. I enjoy watching people and how they behave, how they act, why they do things. I like asking them why they do things. And when you look at the charts of the first outbreak that we had, like back in uh, summer, you go back a year, right? You had the spring spring slash summer uh, peak. It went up, and then it dropped back down again, and then we had the big spike around the uh, the holidays, right around wintertime, and then it dropped down again. Now it's gone back up again. It's been going up again in North Carolina. What, why do you think that might be in terms of ventilation? Is there a connection there? Now, I assume the people that 
Consult all the experts and rely on the data and science. I assume all of them know the answer to these questions. Right? That ventilation is actually a vital part of managing the spread of an aerosolized virus. But nobody ever talks about it. I find that to be odd. I do. I find it to be odd. Because when all of the spikes are occurring, what else is occurring? (coughs) Bless you. What else is occurring? Oh, I got COVID now. That's it. (laughs) No, I won't get COVID. I'm vaccinated. Ha-ha! Not even. I will get COVID, even though I'm vaccinated. Such mixed messages. Um, the, The spikes occur when people are huddled up inside with air conditioning. And that's different in the South than it's going to be up North. As a former person of the North, I can tell you, not a lot of places up there have AC running. And uh, when they do, it's not central. A lot of times it's just window units. And they're just sucking in the air from the outside, blowing it through the, uh, the room, and then they're blow- you know, and it just kind of moves around the room and blows out. Whereas an HVAC system in the South is a centralized system, right? So it's different to some degree. It's different. And so you got people who are now congregating inside for longer periods of time because it's so darn hot. <laughs> Why is it so hot? Climate change. We should go under an emergency declaration for that. Issue another ED for climate change. Um, we've got people that are congregating indoors for longer periods of time. Do you think that adds to the spread of an aerosolized virus? I would submit it does. And I would submit this is information that has been known for over a year and a half. In fact, it's been known longer than we knew about COVID-19. So, I mean, I've got, I've seen, not I've got, but I've seen the photos from the outbreak of the Spanish, um, sorry, the flu of 1918. Sorry, I'm still trying to adapt to that. It's like the pronoun thing. Like if I've known you your whole life as Pete, and then you're like, now I'm Petunia. Like, that's going to take me a while. I'm going to have to, you know, adjust. Anyway, um, this, this, see, I almost said it again. The, the, the flu of 1918 or the pandemic of 1918, right? Um, There are photos of hospital wards where they literally took people's beds and picked them up. So put, and then opened windows and put the head of the bed outside the window to try to get people breathing the fresh air. Well, as fresh as it could be in 1918 cities, right? But to put their faces, to put their heads outside of the windows. So they're not just all in the room, sucking and breathing and blowing out all of this uh, lung juice, as I call it, the COVID-19 lung juice. How come ventilation is never part of these discussions? How come nobody's ever saying, hey, I mean, I understand like people like, oh, you know, uh, if you're outside, you can socially distance, right? It's the only time you ever hear, like, there's nobody saying, hey, everybody, make a point to spend as much time outside as possible. And if you are inside, turn on every fan, open all the windows, and move the air through the space. How come you don't hear anybody saying that? Is that not effective? According to the studies out of Japan, a year and a half ago, it was effective at moving aerosolized viral particles, these micro droplets, the lung juice, moving them out of spaces. In fact, I saw another study that was done in some sort of alarmist fashion in order to, you know, issue more crackdowns and get more restrictions in place that it was cited as the reason why we got to shut down all the restaurants again. 
is because like you have all these people, you've probably seen this graphic, all the people sitting in a restaurant and the HVAC system, the blower was sending the stream of air like in a certain direction. And the people who were there in that, in the path of that stream, they all got COVID. And so that was used as proof that we need to shut everything down again. And look, there are people that are literally terrified of dying from COVID and the chance of them actually getting and dying from COVID is very, very, very small, is very, very, very small. But there are people who are irrationally terrified, just as there are people who are terrified of getting the vaccine. Despite, think about this, right? Across the planet, hundreds of millions of people with the shot, two of them even, right? Hundreds of millions of people, and you have people who are still terrified of getting the shot. So people are terrified. But only one group is being identified for mockery and singling out and, uh, and blame. The other group, the ones that put us into lockdowns, the ones that caused deaths of despair to skyrocket, right? The ones who caused uh, people to start drinking. What was the news story we just heard today? People are now... Uh, guzzling down the alcohol at record rates, right? Particularly young women with kids at home, right? Moms with kids at home are just, they're just down in the booze. Are they ever called to task for that? Is there any blame? Are we going to shame and blame the crowd that was pro-lockdown? No, of course not. That's the quote right side here, right? That's That's the correct view. Even though if it were the correct view, don't you think we would, I don't know, be looking to now lock down? Well, Dina DiOrio seems to think, and she hinted at this at the press conference yesterday, that, you know what, maybe we should be doing some of that. Maybe that could happen if people don't get on board with the masking and the and the vaccinations. That's out there. That could happen. We don't want to go there, but we might. Let's go over to the uh, WBT News Center here. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT Thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I think I have made it through three clips. Yes, three sound bites out of the 13 that I have pulled from the... <laughs> this is what I always do, though. Just throw it in with the Fauci audio. That's right, the Fauci audio from day one when I launched the show. I had like eight clips of Fauci, and I didn't use a single one. But one day... One day, baby. Edward, welcome to the program. Hello, Edward. How are you? Um, better than good and improving. Thanks good. Uh, for taking my call. Certainly. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to mention, and, and i got to put a disclaimer out there. While I am employed by Train Technologies, I am not a spoke per- spokesperson for Train Technologies. <laughs> okay. But you were bringing up HVAC. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the U.S. headquarters are right up the road in Davidson. Okay. And believe me, the industry, whether the government talks about it or not, understands yep. the importance of clean air. And the industry as a whole has done a great deal mm-hmm. towards improving indoor air quality. And uh, it's it's amazing the things that you're going to see. And again, shameless plug for train technologies early on when you had to have the minus 70 degree C uh, temperatures to move the vaccine. Yeah, Crane Technologies was doing it with a Thermo King brand. We came out with equipment that would go down to minus eighty C. That's about there what I are, like to. That's like that's what I like to sleep in. That's where I like my bedroom weather. 
to be yeah. when I sleep. Yeah. Yeah, really. So <laughs> there are advances nobody would believe that are out there. Mm -hmm. And we just need to pay attention to it. So the question, though, is, is, is right. So and, and I totally agree. Like I got installed. This was probably five years ago. My wife and I went and uh, put in a whole system. I believe it was uh, with Killingsworth, actually. And uh, we put in a whole new system in our house. And we got the like the super filter. I forget the name of it. I think it was called like the smart filter or, or super filter or something. And it was you know multiple filters. You changed it up at the at the unit itself, not the filters you know in the ceiling anymore. Um, and it was it, it was an upgrade on the filtration. And so like I like the, the the technology is proceeding. It is advancing. the The problem is going to be how do you get people to get that tech. Especially, like, if it's brand new, it's going to be more expensive, of course. So how do you get people uh, to have that technology installed everywhere, especially if you've got to, like, rip out old systems? That's going to be a huge lift in uh, in fast-growing Sunbelt cities, right? So how does that happen? And short of some massive, you know, dare I call it an infrastructure spending bill, but short of that, then you just got to ask people and you got to say, you got to give us the information, say, uh, hey, maybe spend some more time outside. We know it's hot, but find ways to improve airflow, like literally blow the air away and out of the the rooms and such. Absolutely, yeah. And you go after it the same way that the food supply has been changing. Probably five years ago, I chose to go organic, and that's the only change I made, and my health went up. I mean, skyrocketed mm. just by going organic. And most recently, another person from WBT, Dr. Ernst, giving him a free plug and mm -hmm. seeing him made a huge difference, you know, with uh, what I've seen with his program. But when we started, because my wife went organic, too, Whole Foods was the only place you could go to get food. Now, although it's not as much, Terrace Teeter has a huge organic section. As people become aware, as we talk about the differences, organic foods, getting away from the pesticides, cleaner air everywhere, including in our homes, by talking about it in casual conversation, that's how we get the word out. Yeah. We need, ju just like in politics, it's all about boots on the ground and grassroots, same thing with health. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the health of the air, the health of the food, boots yeah. on the ground, everybody sharing that message. Yeah, hearts and minds, if you will. That's yeah. You're 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 in on an individual basis, just talking to people, and this is why their pitch has been this: like, oh, go and talk to your neighbors about getting the shot. Right. That's the same messaging they're trying to do with the vaccinations, like that you're talking about right there. Is just your conversation with your neighbor, your friend, a family member about what has worked for you is more likely to persuade them than some politician or a bureaucrat saying, get the shot uh, and you'll get $25 or get the shot or else you're a terrible person. You know, it, you're more persuasive, especially exactly. if you have had success. Yeah. We've got to evangelize. Yeah. Hey, uh, Edward, I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Um, oh, it's, it's true. And here's the thing. This actually gets to another, and uh, well, if I get to the audio, I can, I can tie this together better, but um, this gets to the point of the wisdom of crowds, right? Where he was talking about the organic sections in the in the grocery stores. Well, why is that happening? 
because people see the value in a certain product. And so they then spend their money on that product that sends signals to the market, not just to the manufacturers and the farmers and everybody else on the, on the, uh, on that side of the equation, but also the retail component, right? You've got the retailer that says, oh, okay, well, we got like, we're, go- we're, we're like selling out of these organic carrots way faster than those other carrots. So that means people want this stuff. And it's the same thing when it comes to shots and masks and, and how to manage response, right? Like I understand, again, I am vaccinated. I recognize the benefit of herd immunity. I've been, I was an early adopter of the herd immunity uh, goal. Like I, I was saying we need to get to herd immunity. That's the way that this is going to like, we're going to get past this. And when they came out with the vaccines, I was like, boom, this is how we get there. I mean, I'm not interested in getting sick to get there. I'd prefer to not get sick to get there. So I'm doing my part. However, the wisdom of the crowd is that there will be people who make different decisions. And then we're going to get to see what is the impact of those decisions. And what people are like, well, we have seen an uptick in the vaccination levels over the last few weeks. Like, well, why is that? It's because of the Delta variant. People are now worried that they may get the Delta variant. And so now you've got people making a different decision than they were willing to make a month ago. Because maybe they thought a month ago we had beaten it. We got to herd immunity. And now they're like, oh, darn it, we haven't. Got to go get my shot. Right? People like the wisdom of the crowd. Dina DiOrio may be the smartest person in the policy group, but she's not smarter than the entire policy group. Right? Anthony Fauci, when he was at National Stadium, throwing out that first pitch, even if it was full, he may have been the smartest person in the stadium, but he's not smarter than everybody in the stadium. It's the wisdom of crowds. Still at three clips played out of the 13. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. Let me get to the phone lines real quick and get John on. Hello, John. How are you? Welcome to the show. Did you say Dr. John? Dr. John, yes. Dr. Are you a doctor? Uh, Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, That's why I wanted... I'm just pulling off the road here. That's very Um, safe. I advise you to do so. That's fine. (laughs) That's right. So I wanted to get in on this conversation. And actually, I appreciate what... um, uh, the other gentleman, uh, what's his name, uh, Edward said, yeah, yeah. Is, you know, it's all going back to nutrition. The reason a lot of the people that had the Spanish flu were put outside was not just for the fresh air, it was to get vitamin D. Mm, yes. There are, you know, if you, if you look, you know, one of the biggest things that, get, uh, that gets me is that to say, oh, the science is settled. There's, you know, there's no science to show that other, anything else but the vaccine works. Well, you know, if you look at PubMed, and anyone can go to there, PubMed.org, and you look at vitamin D and immune system, there's 4,927 studies on how vitamin D improves the immune system. Hmm. If you go to look at zinc and immune system, there's over 6,000 different studies. You can go to c19early.com. There are 840 studies showing different uh, alternative ways of dealing with COVID that work, but we don't hear any of that. Mm. I have not heard Fauci say anything about, oh, let's give people extra zinc, let's give them extra D. We're all trying to like run up behind and trying to fix everything as it uh, as it happens, 
But no one is doing anything about preventative measures. There are no, yeah, there's no therapeutics, it seems like. Like, it's, well, hope you don't get it, but, oh, no, now that you got it, well, stay home, quarantine for two weeks, and hope you don't get sicker. Oh, and if you get sicker, then go to the hospital, and they'll put you on a ventilator at some point, uh, and and then you die. Like, those are your, like, that's the trajectory, it seems like, that we've been told. Nobody is, and these are health officials that are coming out and telling us these things at, 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 like, yesterday's briefing. Why is there never any pitch, like you said, hey, folks, get more vitamin D. Hey, folks, don't go yeah. talk to your doctor. Get more zinc. Go outside. Get more active. Lose some weight. Like, do some of these things that will help guard you against COVID-19. Well, you know, I think it's the, the, the mindset, actually, of the, 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 the healing profession. The reason I, get, I didn't give my real name is because we could probably get targeted, and there's so many doctors sure. that are targeted already. There's what they call the, dozen, uh, the, the dirty dozen, uh, you know, of doctors that are on not a hit list, but, you know, th- that have been censored. Mm-hmm. Dr. Simone Gold lost her license on this one, mm-hmm. you know, uh, w- way early on because she was coming out against it. And talking about uh, remedies like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Uh, what happened to monoclonal antibodies? But um, g- getting back to what we were just saying here, uh, it, it's I'm in the alternative health field, okay? I see a lot of patients. I do functional medicine. One of the things we look at the body is not, you know, oh, you have low magnesium. Let's give you magnesium. My question is, why are we having low magnesium? Mm-hmm. So we're looking at really preventing the problems in the first place and actually ca- looking at the cause. A lot of uh, looking at the medical field, you ha- you come in with certain symptoms, you have a disease, we have a pill for that disease. They put you in a box, we're not going to look out of the box. Problem is, not all patients look and all the bacteria read the literature on what is supposed to happen. Okay? So bacteria w- work different and viruses work different than what we think they, uh, in different people than, than everyone, you know, suspects or uh, the same in everyone. Um, you know, I got so many ideas floating in my head. I can't get my right. So, my well, I think one of I think one of the issues also is that we as consumers demand the pill. We demand yes. the therapy in a bottle. We demand the the cure in a bottle. This is because it's easier. Because it means we don't have to make any changes, right? Yeah, and and, and, that, and, yeah. That, and it comes down to what Edward said earlier: is you want healthy foods, you want organic foods, and you want to look at different things that that can keep you healthy. Instead of getting sick, mm-hmm. boost your immune system first. Look at all of that. You know, why is everyone pushing the, the, the vaccine? Obviously, it's not working. If you look at the Delta variant, well, how come, the, you know, we have so many people that are uh, uh, vaccinated and now suddenly we're getting a Delta variant? Right. Well, and if you look at, well, this, the and this is, is the really. Yeah. I was going to say this is the experiment. People who were against the vaccines are saying, well, this is an experimental vaccine and i acknowledge that sure okay it's experimental Mm -hmm. but i took it just like i believe in people's right to try right donald trump did as well republicans passed it the right to try so if people want to try experimental therapies to save their lives they can try them i'm fine with that and uh i am part of the experiment group and people who are not getting the vaccines are part of the control group and let's Mm -hmm. see what the outcomes look like let's see who, you know, uh, benefits from the vaccines, who doesn't, how much they benefit, because now I just see they're getting ready to recommend that everybody get booster shots now, eight months after the original um, shots. So, like, does that mean that they're, quote, not working? 
but but there's so many people and so many uh so so many uh powerful organizations I would submit that are invested in the idea that they work that I'm not even confident that if it turned out they didn't work they would tell us and like that's I, I the problem that's, that's the real problem is that nobody trusts what these people are saying to us anymore there are so many eminent phys- uh, uh, doctors out there. There's uh, Dr. Heert van den Bosch from Belgium. He designs vaccines. He used to work for Gavi, and he used to work for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So he's definitely not an anti-vaxxer. Mm-hmm. And he's saying we should not be doing this. Definitely don't give a vaccine during pandemic because that is driving the production of the variant. The variants. I've, yeah, and, I've heard know, that as well. Like with, you know, bacterial, you, you know, you have bacterial resistance. Well, it's kind of the same. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard the argument as well, but I don't know the science. Doc, uh, hey, Doctor John, I appreciate the call. I got to run to news. Thanks so much for uh, for chatting. All right, a uh, quick update here. Still on clip number three of the thirteen that I pulled from the press conference that was held yesterday by the Mecklenburg County Policy Group. The town managers, county manager, city manager, they all got together. I think uh, like these are all unelected people, but they're people that were hired by the elected people. So it's kind of like they're elected, right? And they're just making recommendations on how everybody, you know, might get put out of business at some point. Um, restrictions on everybody. They're just making these. They're just recommendations. We don't get to see the give and take of the discussion or anything like that. And it's completely non-political because after all why would politics be involved when you get a bunch of bureaucrats together to formulate a recommendation right i mean politics bureaucrats it's like those two things are opposite ends of a spectrum never right so uh joe bruno from wsoc tv asked the first question during this briefing and he uh asked about why it was you know closed to the public and she said well you know dina diorio the county manager said yeah well we're uh you know we're just staffers we're county employees and we're not elected officials and so we just looked at the law and we don't have to be open and so that's how we're interpreting it and so we're not open and then a follow-up came from uh wbt's brett jensen to that question uh about why these are closed meetings why did you decide not to make the meeting public Uh, what i said earlier i'll say it again is that we looked at the statute we looked at the work that we do as a policy group and made a determination that this is not a body that would be required to have open meetings next question make it open anyway right because there's some meetings that we have that are just staff and there are other meetings that we have that are considered public bodies and meetings that are open to the public and this just doesn't qualify so we, we try to follow the rule and be consistent in terms of how we apply the statute. So that's not an answer, by the way. There's the, the answer is we decided this because we didn't want to be public, right? Because if, if they wanted to be doing this business in public, they would do that. They obviously believe that they have the option to do so. They've chosen not to. Why? She won't say. I would suspect it's because they don't want the pressure. And look, this is a legitimate argument to keep it closed. I'm not saying that this is an illegitimate uh, position that she's not stating, but I suspect they hold, which is why you don't have cameras in the Supreme Court. Right. And I've known this for years. Anybody who covers politics knows this, that you and government, right. When you bring the cameras into the space, people's 
ability to discuss rationally, people's ability to collaborate and and talk freely, right? It gets minimized, right? Those chances decrease when you bring media in, when you bring the public in. If it's a private conversation, people are going to be less guarded. They're going to be, well, what can we do? And there's some horse trading going on. And that might not look good, the sausage-making process, if you will, right? So this is, this is why the why question matters. She won't say it. I suspect it's because, yes, it is very much a, uh, a process that requires, in, her, in their view, secrecy. And they don't like the term secrecy. I understand why. But that's what it is. You can call it a private meeting or whatever, but that's what it is. It's happening outside of public view. The people who are uh, involved in policy group, you know, first rule of policy group, don't talk about policy group. No, I'm kidding. But, like, you have this group of people. They're making these decisions and having discussions that we don't see. That is, by definition, in secret. Right? That is in secret. That is a secret. You can come out and say, oh, we haven't discussed this, but only if asked. Like, they're not coming out and giving us minutes of these meetings. They're not saying all of the things that were discussed and who said what arguments that were had. They're not telling us that. Um, so then we got, oh, Jonathan Lowe from Spectrum News asks this question. With the meeting and, and maybe the public wanting to see how these discussions are coming about because of, of the fact that masks have become so political and we're, we're still struggling to get people vaccinated. Have you all considered that maybe people will want to see and, and hear those discussions? With regard to your other question around how the decisions get made, um, that's the function of the group. I mean, that's what we do is we sit around, we have conversations, and we make determinations that are not political, um, that are based on the science and are based on what we think is in the best interest of the community. And we do that as a group. Um, and we've been successful doing that for 17 months. So this is not the first policy group meeting we've ever had. We've been meeting uh, consistently since March of 2020. Um, and I think we've done an outstanding job representing the community and making sound decisions decisions that are in best interest of the community. And so um, I think that we have a recipe that works. And if we have a recipe that works, we're not going to be in a position to change it. Right. So, right. so a couple things. Uh, we think we've been doing a fantastic job. So no, we're not going to change anything. The second point is note the language at the very end where she says we're not going to be in a position to change it. This, this, is, uh, this is a deflection of responsibility. This is an offloading of accountability. You may not even realize it, but I mean, think about it. When she says we're not going to be in a position to change it, as if these external factors are preventing us from deciding something otherwise, right? That's not the case. You, you have total authority to make that change if you wish. You just do not wish to, right? As if there's nothing they can do, as if it's not their decision to meet like this. But it is. Also, third point here, this part from earlier in the clip. We sit around, we have conversations, and we make determinations that are not political, um, that are based on the science and are based on what we think is in the best interest of the community. Okay. This is the point, right? This is the point. You're making decisions that you think are in the best interest of the community. Roughly a million people in Mecklenburg County, right? People who have, is that what it is now? I think I forgot the census number already. I forgot it. So you're making decisions that you think is in the best interest of a million people. A million people who have no sight into this discussion or decision-making process. And you're not elected, actually, to represent them. So here's a random question. What if you're wrong? Right? 
What if you're wrong? What if the thing that you think the community needs is actually not the thing that the community needs? And I'm not asserting that any decision you have made specifically right now is wrong. I'm just throwing out a test case, a hypothesis, if you will. It's kind of sciency where you throw out an idea and contemplate, like, what happens if you're wrong? You've now made a decision for a million people. And if that decision is really wrong, people might die. That's a lot to put on a little old policy group, don't you think? This is what I was talking about earlier, the wisdom of crowds. This is also, this is the fatal conceit. Bureaucrats, central planners, they think that, well, we'll just get the experts in a room and we'll just chat amongst ourselves and we'll figure it out for the million people. We'll make these recommendations because this is how they go about their daily lives and the work that they do inside government. And they have the use of force in government in order to do these things, right? Also, she said these decisions are not political, and I'm just going to call horse hockey on that, okay? That's garbage. That's garbage. Of course there's politics involved. Of course there is. Here's, here's the first, first example, easiest one to, this is the low-hanging fruit. Gibby Harris is the health director, and her boss is Dina DiOrio. You're going to tell me there's no politics there at all? What if there's a disagreement between the two of them? Inter-office politics is politics after all, right? That's part of it. So that's the, that's the obvious one. But then there are also the obvious implications that DiOrio is the county manager. And the county includes these small cities, the six cities. And as the six cities, they are part of Mecklenburg County. There are things that the county can do or withhold or uh, incentivize or try to dissuade these cities from doing. You're going to tell me there's no politics involved in that, that the managers and whoever the other bureaucrats are that are around there, you're telling me they have no understanding of that power imbalance, of that dynamic? Please. There's no politics. News Talk 1110-993-WBT going over the press conference that was held by uh, the policy group, the unelected folks that are setting the the recommended policies that then the local elected officials just adopt. Right? Like that's the, that's been a it's a staff-driven process. That's what we're watching right now. Let me go over here to Jim. Welcome to the program. Hello, Jim. How are you? Jim Puckett. How are you doing? Hey, Jim Puckett, how are you? Uh, fine. We can talk about this on a couple of levels. One, um, not to be too in the weeds, but Charlotte, Mecklenburg County does not have a board of health. They have a consolidated health agency uh, where the board of county commissioners sits as the board of health. One of the one of the laws requiring that to happen, and there are a number of reasons that, that counties choose to go that path is that the Board of County Commissioners sitting as the Board of Health has to have an ad, a health advisory group by law. They have to have health people to give them advice. Under state law, that group's meetings have to be open to the public. Now, I don't know if the 
the advisory policy group working on COVID is the same group, I would think it might be, that is the health advisory group, or if it's a subcommittee. But I would also argue that if state law says that the advisory committee's meetings have to be open, then any subcommittee has to be open. One caveat, I will say, because I do not quite know, uh, Mecklenburg County is the is exempted from some laws regarding this only because it was formed before a cutoff date. So Dina DiOrio could be completely correct in that legally Mecklenburg County doesn't have to obey this law. Mm -hmm. But what she is then saying is Mecklenburg County chooses to do what the other 99 counties chooses not to do what the other 99 counties in the state are required to do. And I would say if you want to be transparent, you should at least say we're going to obey the law as written for the rest of the state. Lastly, this is the same person as a county manager who ran the health department that had you know, defended what happened with pap smears a few years ago and kind of a, many would call it a cover-up. Uh, Fred Clausen Kelly did a great series of articles on it. Uh, Dina defended all of the staff at that time up until the point that they had to force the health director to leave. And to your point, even this policy committee, you know, doesn't have, they say it's the experts, but they are not experts that cover every possible dilemma that you would run into when looking at this type of policy, which is why you have open meetings, because there may be somebody who's not an expert on the group but is an expert in the field to say, wait a minute, I have a little more knowledge about what you're talking about. I would like to add it. Right, which is the argument to fix the North Carolina Emergency Management Act that does not require Governor Cooper to get concurrence from the Council of State, even though it makes obvious sense to do so because you've got people like Steve Troxler over agriculture. You've got Dale Falwell, the state treasurer. You've got uh, the... uh, uh, Attorney General Josh Stein over the court system. You have all of these different people that are elected statewide, and they are elected to oversee certain areas of our system and our economy, and they may have input. Like, for example, the Labor Commissioner might have some thoughts on how to administer unemployment checks, right, Like, uh, and what that might do to commerce in the state and that sort of thing. That's why you have those people, and it's why you want more people at the table because you get then more information. Well, and not only that, the reason I have argued for years that we should return to a legitimate board of health, who, by the way, the board of health hires and manages the health director, not the county manager. But in North Carolina, boards of health have to be uh, comprised of certain people, and they are hospital administrators, medical doctors, veterinarians, dentist because there are things that will happen within veterinary science that are kind of a precursor to what might happen among humans etc so there's you know there is this safety net with a wide range of experts in the room my problem is i don't even know who the quote-unquote experts in the room are and i don't have any idea what they're saying and that should be a reason for alarm for everybody the it's now a million one people in Mecklenburg wow. County whose health is dependent on it. All right. Uh, former County Commissioner Jim Puckett, thanks, uh, Jim, for calling in. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. 
You got all right, man. Um, so that's a, yeah, Jim Puckett. He and he was on the county commission when a lot of these changes got made, if I recall. Um, so here is Robin Kennedy from Fox 46. And uh, at the press conference yesterday, here's her question uh, to, I believe it's uh, Gibby Harris. Let's see. If you all are making decisions in the interest of public health and decisions driven by data, why are you shutting the public out from this meeting? All right. Sorry. This is to Dina DiOrio. So I think it's it needs to be clear that we are not making decisions about right. anything. No. We make recommendations to our elected boards, right. and the elected boards make decisions which are all done in public. What we do at the policy group meeting is discuss possible recommendations that we need to make to elected officials. Right. And then you come out with the recommendation, and then they vote on that recommendation. So how did you get to the recommendation? Would you have, I don't know, how would you describe this? Did you decide on a recommendation? Did everybody, I don't know, take a vote on a recommendation and have that recommendation then sent to the public body who then discusses that recommendation? What about other recommendations that don't get your approval, that you decide not to bring forward as a recommendation? Like, what about those ideas? I mentioned ventilation, but that's just one, right? Like, what about some sort of a public campaign to get people outside to improve their vitamin D levels? How about that? Did you discuss that? Well, no, see, if I don't think of the thing to ask, then they don't have to tell me. Because this actually came up a little bit later in a bit of a snippy kind of exchange over vaccine passports and vaccine mandates. This came up. And the only reason it comes up is because reporters think to ask the question. And if the reporter doesn't think about this potential uh, solution or a potential course of action, then the, the question does not get asked. Right. And then we don't know that they actually had a discussion about vaccines or they did not. This is the problem with having these private meetings. We don't know the ideas that got rejected. We don't know this stuff because we don't have any record of it. So, This is an argument for opening up that process, or at least even getting some minutes, maybe. They're just kind of following in the background the uh, this briefing, the White House briefing on Afghanistan. While Biden is in on vacation at Camp David, and uh, apparently CBS just asked Jake Sullivan, he of the Russia hoaxing community, uh, whether U.S. forces will remain in Kabul until all Americans are out. And he says, I'm not going to comment on hypotheticals. There are thousands of Americans still in there. And the Taliban have now surrounded the entire airport and the embassy. They control the roads and they're murdering people that are trying to get to the airport or those who are leaving the airport because they got turned away. Why would they be doing that? Because they know that these people were working with Americans. And if you're trying to get out of the country right now, then that means you're an enemy of the Taliban and they're going to kill you. I mean, this is, it's, I'm not sure the country is actually prepared like psychologically for what we might be, what we might start seeing. 
All right, uh, back to this uh, press conference. And yes, I got your uh, tweet here, Jerry, who said um, about the last bite. The follow-up question from that last soundbite should have been, what was the last recommendation that you made to Mecklenburg County that they did not vote to implement? That's a good question. Has there been any incident, or I should say instance, any example of the policy group coming up with a recommendation that the politicians did not then approve? Are there any of those available? Is there an example of that? And now I'm sure they would say if the answer is no, and they're you know batting a thousand, <laughs> you know, every single recommendation we come up with, they agree to. Um, that's just because we're relying on the science and data and that, you know, our recommendations are so perfect. That's why we're batting perfect. Perfect or perfectly? Okay. Um, Hunter Signs, I think is how he pronounces that, from WCNC asked about how enforcement of the mask mandate would work. Listen to this part of uh, County Manager Dina DiOrio's answer, if it'll play. We are, as Gibby said, looking at the possibility of civil penalties Mm -hmm. um, in the Board of Health rule, and we'll be talking about that, and then we'll have to make a determination about how and who could actually issue those citations, but we're still working through those issues. All right. They're still working through those issues. What what, what issues? The enforcement, who gets to write the citations, how much they will be, civil penalties. So ideas are being kicked around, but we don't know what all of those ideas are. Right. Here's an admission that they are having various discussions about enforcement mechanisms, penalties. But we don't know what all the penalties they are discussing, what all of those are. We don't know the costs and benefits. We don't know, uh, hey, if you start levying fines, what would be an appropriate amount for the fine? Like a dollar value. Um I don't know. Do you suspend restaurants' licenses, for example? Do you go after them like that? If so, do you give them a warning? How many warnings? Do you think the restaurant community might be interested in hearing some of those ideas? But no, see, they're going to distill down the perfect idea, and they're going to give it to the elected officials, who will then receive the recommendation from the experts and say, this has to be obviously the recommendation that we follow because this came from the experts. I got another question. How many of these recommendations passed with unanimous votes versus split votes of some kind? Have there been any dissenting votes that made their way then to the elected bodies? What were those votes? What were they about? What were the arguments for and against? Why did you decide one way or the other? And when you're taking votes and making these determinations, is there zero politics involved? Because I would imagine some of these people might say, you know what, I can't take this back to my my elected body. They're not going to go for this. Did anybody ever say that sentence in any of these policy briefings or uh, uh, policy group meetings over the last year? Did anybody say that sentence? Because I would wager somebody has. I would wager somebody has said the very sentence that I just uttered, which is, again, I can't take that back to my body. They won't agree to this. Somebody has said that. Who has said that? What was the topic about? Because the, uh, right, that's the point. You're coming up with recommendations for the elected bodies to approve, not just to vote on, to approve. Otherwise, why are you making the recommendation? 
These are all geared towards passage, right? Has somebody ever made a recommendation in the policy group but then lost the argument? Has that occurred? We just don't ever hear about that idea that lost the argument. Maybe it was a split vote, whatever, but they had an idea. It didn't win a vote of some kind, didn't get consensus, and so it got dismissed. This is what a staff-driven process looks like. This is also an end run around the leaders. You're not giving them all the information. They can go out and find this information, right? This is the other thing, too. If you've got this panel of experts, why wouldn't you want your elected leaders to hear from those experts, too? Why would you filter it, distill it through this work group and then give it to the elected officials? Why would you do that? Why would you act as sort of a a gatekeeper, if you will? Just asking questions. David Hodges from WBTV pressed again on the why question. Why are the meetings closed here? This is uh, do, 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 cut nine. Yeah, why are the meetings closed? Why are they held outside of public view? Listen to this exchange here. I spoke with one mayor who previously was in favor of a mass recommendation, but after receiving some public input, decided that he was against it. Is part of the reason this policy group stays secret is because they're trying to avoid public input or public pressure? Yes. I I sort of differ with your opinion that we're doing things in secret. We're having meetings (laughs) of professionals in the county um, that are helping to formulate policy recommendations, and it has nothing to do with public input. All right, well, we agree on that. It has nothing to do with public input. Um, But she disagrees that they're doing this in secret. They're just having a meeting of professionals. And we all know that when professionals meet, it's never in secret. Those are two opposite ends of the spectrum here, people. It's like tyranny and anarchy, left and right, you know, like male and female. Oh, wait, well, never mind. I think I take that back. So it's like opposite ends. They're like, if this is the thing that's happening, then it's obviously this. It can't be this other thing because they're completely at odds. Meeting of professionals versus meeting in secret. They're opposites, you see. Pressure because when these recommendations go to the full board of county commissioner or to city council or to any town board, any member of the public has the opportunity to come and speak to the board either for or against any recommendation we make. So to say that the public doesn't have any public input um, is just incorrect. It's not actually incorrect. They, They don't have public input in your process of the policy group. They do have input at the county commission level or the board of health level. They have that ability after you get a recommendation then they get to comment on the recommendation they don't get to comment on anything else you guys were kicking around like enforcement or anything like that we don't get to have any input or even knowledge about that stuff until you decide to make a recommendation after you distill down all of the different ideas to the ones that you think will pass but it's not in secret either these are just professionals chatting News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Let me go over here to Chip. Hello, Chip. Welcome to the show. What's up? Hey, Pete. Uh, all this talk about uh, masking fines and masking mandates uh, makes me think of a, another area of social interaction. Do we find the hooker or do we find the John? Uh, well, I mean, it depends. Usually you go after the uh, the John, right? That's usually the case, and then they try to give services and a way out for the prostitute. But, I mean, it used to be that they would, yeah, they'd go after the prostitutes, too. So 
where would that leave us when it comes to mask mandates? Would they just issue fines to everybody and who would do that? And so the way so, right. So the so right now, enforcement is going to be up to businesses to do. And so if you walk in without a mask and the business says, hey, you need to be wearing a mask and you refuse, then they would call the cops on you and the cops would charge you with trespassing on the criminal side of the equation there. That's the enforcement right now. But Dina DiOrio says, well, you know what? Our community is that we're we're so awesome. We're going to lean in and we're going to all pull together with this. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Thanks. You're doing fine. Thanks, sir. All right. Thank you. I appreciate the call, Chip. Um, Tell you something else I'm doing fine with is Ph.D. weight loss. I have been on the program now for a week and I knew. So I got back to town. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, well, first I had to pack. So I'm packing up the stuff up in Asheville and, you know, I have my closet set up like, so the stuff that I usually pull out of the closet, it's like all at the one side. And then I have this other side of the closet that's it's all filled with clothes that I think Christy shrunk them in the washing machine. It's the only thing I can figure because like none of them fit this whole side of the closet, like none of them fit. No, actually it was because I, I, I got fatter during COVID. I put on a whole bunch of weight during the last year and a half and I battled weight my entire life. And, uh, I've been, you know, up and down, up and down. But I realized as I'm packing up, I took like, I don't know, four shirts and like three pairs of pants. That was all I had left. And I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad. And then I got mad also when I was like getting winded, tying my shoes. Yeah, that's no fun. That's no fun. You can't bend over to pick stuff up. And I can tell you, it's already made a difference for me. I can, like, now I can tie my shoes again. It's only been a week, and I'm tying my shoes without heavy breathing after the fact. I can tie the, you know, here's the trick. Do you ever notice on people's shoes, are they tying the tie on the, you know, the shoelaces? Is it in the center of the shoe, or is it off to the inner side of the shoe? Because it's off to the inner side, it means they literally can't get the foot in position to tie a bow right in the middle of the shoe because the belly is too large. That's where I was. And I was like, I can't be here anymore. So go to do what I did. Go to PhD weight loss. They're in South Charlotte. They will customize a personal plan for you with proven uh, nutritional guidance. Also, they retrain your mind. That's been really cool. That, that aspect of the program, it's unlike any other program I've ever been a part of. So uh, head on over to myphdweightloss.com and take your first steps today and do it with me. Um, i got a couple more audio bites to play here as well. This is from yesterday's press conference. Uh, this is, well, I, I don't have time to run all of it. All right, let me do this. Question, this, uh, th- this is a follow-up question from Spectrum News' Jonathan Lowe. Um, And he asks about the spike that we're seeing now and whether or not this is uh, similar to a previous spike that we saw like a year ago. In three, two, one. I heard you say, what more can we do? Oh, my goodness. That's the wrong clip. Entirely the wrong clip. That was from the General Assembly. We are seeing spikes that remind us of last winter. Um, it's a little bit different because we've got vaccines now, mm-hmm. but we're still seeing our numbers go up exponentially. We're watching what's happened in other parts of the world. 
where it goes up quickly and comes back down quickly, and we're oh. hoping that's what we'll see here. Oh. The problem is we don't know how high it will go before oh. it comes back down. And we're concerned about, again, about our kids in school and about our hospitals being overwhelmed. So far, we haven't seen those things. School hadn't started yet, so we're mm-hmm. trying to get things better under control. Okay, so usually, so what they've seen around the world, and I have too, by the way, I've seen these similar patterns in other countries, they have a quick uptick, and then it drops down again. Kind of like seasonality of some kind, right? Like a boom and then bust. Boom and then bust. And it's happened in other countries. But we don't know if it's going to happen here. And right now we're on the uptick side. It's so, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, when is it going to stop? Well, we don't know. So everybody put a mask on. And then if the, the uptick declines... I'm like, oh, whew. thank goodness. The masks worked. Except in those places where the mask mandates go into effect and the numbers keep going up and then eventually fall off later. Which you really can't explain that. But better safe than sorry. Am I right or am I right? Then we have them right now. As I mentioned earlier, COVID is not going anywhere right. anytime soon. So I think we'll potentially see these spikes from time to time and hopefully they're short-lived but we're just going to have to watch that and see unfortunately this particular variant that we're dealing with right now is very infectious mm-hmm. and it it infects quickly and people then become symptomatic quickly and that is feeding what we're seeing right now and we're hoping the mass mandate is really going to help cut that short we're hoping that the mass mandate cuts this short. Did the mask mandates work anywhere else? Have mask mandates worked at a societal level? I would think we've got some pretty decent uh, data at this point. I'm not talking about like controlled experiments. I'm saying like, let's look at what has actually occurred because here's the thing. Like, Some people get really good masks. I've actually got, I've got a respirator. Never used it, but when this thing first happened, uh, there was a fellow that uh, advertised with me before. He was uh, a military surplus store out west and, or in western North Carolina, and he was like, I got this, these respirator masks in, and so I picked up a couple, never used them, but like some people have better masks than others. Some people walking around with those gaiters and bandanas, right? They don't do anything. And so what's the real world efficacy of the masks at a society wide level? Did they discuss any of that at the policy group? I wouldn't know. I can't see it. Oh, there you go. Yes. People are getting very stylish with the masks now. Monica sends me a picture of a woman in a mask, and it's like got, like got the jewels or something all over. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, what do they call it, bedazzle? Is that what it's called, the bedazzle? Yeah. <laughs> you, too, can make your jeans look like a rhinestone cowboy outfit. I want to see your bedazzled mask tomorrow, Pete. No, I don't have one. I've got one with skulls and crossbones on it. Bedazzled Which this. apparently frightens children on planes. I did not think that through. Did, My you, tra- did you traumatize some children on a, on a plane? Maybe. Just, I mean, given their expression, when they saw me and recoiled, 
Which, to be fair, that is the normal reaction I get from people in general, and especially, you know, children. So, <laughs> it's not... <laughs> I actually... It was that I, way I actually, three. It was that way three years ago when there were no masks. Right. Right. Pre-pandemic, <laughs> mommy. Yeah. Who's this person? Um. All right. Let me get Stan on here. He's been waiting forever. Hello, Stan. Thanks for hanging on. What's up, sir? How you doing, Pete? Hey, I'm good. What's up? I'm good. I, I wanted you were talking about two points a while ago about uh, organic food and, and, mm-hmm. and um, also you were talking about getting technology into people's hands and stuff like that. And I wanted to, to tell you something that I was. I looked up food production one night uh, for a project that I'm working on. And the, uh, the guy at the end gave a conclusion, and this guy is one of the uh, people that works at the World Food Bank. And it was his conclusion on food production, that 70% of all food production capacity around the world is controlled by governments directly or by governments indirectly via big corporations. And then he went on to say that the... 70% of the world's consumable supply year over year on average comes from the private farms. So there's three there's three facts that you can take from that. Number one, the private farms are two and one-third times as productive as the government-run and corporate-run farms. Secondly, the quality of product that they produce on average is a better quality because it has to be because it, it, it won't sell. Mm-hmm. And then and the last, thirdly, the last point, was is that most of the uh, regulations that are on food producers make the assumption that the most catastrophic predictions of climate change are true. So in reality, the world has the capacity to produce four and a half to five times more food than it's actually be, uh, being allowed to produce, meaning that a $5 pound of ground beef should cost a dollar. So our, our solution to that is to let the government regulate it and then subsidize the, 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 the price of the the higher price through social welfare programs, and that and that and that and every industry out there is controlled in that manner by the government, and the cost of it is higher because the government regulates. Sure. Well, yeah, sure. The um, this gets into I was having this discussion just the other day, actually the uh, the concept of fascism, right? As a as an economic and governance model, and it is essentially the government controlling the means of production indirectly via regulations of the private sector. So the private sector then, uh, is, so there's this facade, right, of private ownership, but in actuality, they're so constrained by the regulatory regimes that they really don't have the control that they need in order to behave as a private entity would. That's correct. Yeah, so... Uh, which, as I understand, Donald Trump created all of that in America in, in four years, the all of the fascism. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was all his fault in four years. All right, Stan, thanks, sir. All right, man. Yeah, I appreciate thanks. it. Um, Eric Spanberg from the Business Journal, uh, he asked at this press conference, um, do, 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 I'm going to make sure I get the next cue up and running here, the next clip queued up, rather. Um, Eric Spanberg, he says, did you talk to businesses? This was to Dina DiOrio, the county manager. Did you talk to businesses about this mandate and the enforcement of it? 
Spoiler alert, no, she didn't. I would say that we had a really high level of compliance the last time. Um, I didn't, when we had our meeting of the business leaders roundtable um, last week, we didn't talk about this. We talked about some other things, but, um, but not this. You know, we did have a high level of compliance, and I think we'll have a high level of compliance this time because I think everybody understands what's at risk. And what's at risk is if we don't get ahead of the virus, we're looking at potentially. We don't want this, but additional restrictions and additional restrictions have economic impacts. Oh. So it's in our business's interest to try oh. to make sure that we get as much voluntary compliance as we can. And, you know, we, we didn't see here in Mecklenburg County what we see in other parts of the country where we're having people, um, you know, really stand down and say they're not going to wear a mask. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. Um, so I feel like this is a community that leans in and wants to do the right thing. Oh, that's. That's why we're half vaccinated. It's because we're all doing the right thing. <laughs> right? That's what you, that's the standard they're setting as the right thing, but we're not all vaccinated, so why would you think we would be behaving the right way on this other matter? First of all, also, she hasn't heard it. She hasn't seen it. She's not aware of anybody saying I'm not going to comply. So because she's not aware of it, it must not be true. This is, again, the fatal conceit of the central planners, right? They're not aware of something, and their little policy group isn't aware of something. And so because they're not all aware of it, it must not be happening. Which now you get into uh, discussions about people's bubbles, right? The bubble that they live in, and we all live in a bubble of some sort, right? Things is why diversity is important. You want to hear different things from different people. I always say get your news from multiple sources. I do. You will hear me quote stories from, you know, quote, you know, mainstream media, liberal outlets. You'll hear me quote from conservative outlets because I want the issue. I want to know what the issue is. And then I want to hear what the left is saying, what the right is saying. I want to and I want to test what they're saying against each other. So, oh, I'm sure that this is all happening at the policy group. I'm sure. Right. That's what's happening in every single meeting. But also third point, which is really the scariest point, is did you get the implicit threat? there in her answer she apparently is suggesting lockdowns that i guess they think that the county would start locking down businesses that the county health department would first off have that authority right that the county health department the county commission that they would all have this authority in cities that they would have the authority to start locking down businesses because they're not complying with a mask mandate or because the covid spread is too great that's kind of frightening. Um, where's the statute on that? Is that allowable? Do you guys discuss that in the policy group? What are the pros and cons on that debate? Who's making them, by the way? Who's making those arguments that they have the authority to do that? News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete are here for a few more moments. And um, Brett Winterville coming up at 3. So on this idea that, oh, you know, the businesses, they're going to totally help everybody out. The, the, the policy group that has been crafting the recommendations that the local elected officials somehow always agree to, 
they're pretty confident that businesses are going to fall in line. They're going to enforce this. And everyone's really going to fall in line, too. Everyone's going to wear the masks and everything. And, you know, everyone's pulling in the same direction. I'm not so sure. I'm really not so sure. I'm not sure that telling people, go out and get the vaccine. Oh, and by the way, now, you have to keep wearing masks in order to protect people who refuse to get the vaccine. I don't think that's a winning argument. I don't think it's a logical argument either. And I understand why it's it's pitched that way. People are... Believe it or not, people are like the the sociology of them and the psychology of it is pretty uh, interesting that people are more motivated to do things that they believe are going to help someone else versus themselves in this regard. Like if you tell people and this is why they did this big push with the um, with the original mask mandates was you remember they said you wear the mask for your neighbor, you wear the mask for other people. Right. And then you heard people mimicking and parroting this line of thinking, this messaging, because it is the more powerful line of messaging. Because if you tell somebody, well, wear the mask, you know, you'll be safe if you wear this mask. People who are like, oh, it's just the flu. I don't really care about it. Right. They're not that that's not going to motivate them. But if you tell people, hey, if you wear this, it helps save everybody that you love. People will do that more often then they will do it for them just themselves. That was the pitch. And that's what I think they're trying to do now. Because, like, logically, if I have the vaccine, then it means, you know, chances of the breakthrough infection are very low. And uh, even if I do get an infection, uh, it's not going to be as bad. But it still could happen. And, look, I understand there are a lot of people that really want other human beings to blame, Right. This is part of the problem. We want somebody that we can point to and say, you're the reason why everything stinks now. And there are a lot of people that are invested in pointing the blame at, uh, you know, Republicans. There are a lot of other people that are like, well, let's point all the blame at the politicians. And I, I do some of, I do a lot of that. Okay. I do a lot of that. But if you really want to point the blame at somebody, point it at China. It's China. <laughs> I kid, but not really. Um, I have one more soundbite to play here. This was the question from, who was it? Oh, from the local uh, government-supported radio station, um, Claire Donnelly from WFAE. Uh, full disclosure, I worked there as an intern and then in the membership department mailing people coffee mugs. Lo, those many years ago, back in 1999. Um, so uh, the question she asked is, do you think this will actually work? Let's take a listen to the answer, if it'll play. Obviously, we believe it will work or we wouldn't be implementing this. Um, the hope is that with a little bit of extra push, people will get the message and pay attention and start doing the right thing. Most really? people already are. But we still have enough in our community that are spreading virus. That's why our numbers are going up, that we need to just reinforce the message, and that's what the mask mandate does. So from a public health perspective, it's the right thing to do. It's the thing we know that's going to help, along with the vaccines, to move our community in the right direction. So I have every hope that this mandate will work and that we'll, people will take it um, in the way that it was intended, which is to support our community and to help us move out of this situation that we're in right now. So the original point she was making, though, is that it's messaging, right? 
This is going to send the message that people need to do the right thing, which is what? Get the vaccine. Is that the purpose here? This is why I think this is this is not going to be the same as it was before. There are way more people. Here you go. This is the guy has uh, been quoted in a couple of news outlets. Um, Dilworth Neighborhood Grill. Ma- uh, Matt Wolfarth. Um, if no one else is following it, then we won't either. I don't believe in it at all. If you didn't get the vaccine, it's not my problem. If you don't wear a seatbelt in the car and you go through the windshield, you should have been wearing your seatbelt. Personal responsibility should mean something. How many business owners are going to agree with them on that? Let me go over here to Stacy. Hello, Stacy. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm good. What's up? The bottom line is, is what they're not understanding is, as I come from two counties away in Cleveland County and come to Charlotte two, three, sometimes four times a month, spend $100, $150, $200 while I'm there. We are the kind of people that's coming into your county and spending money that's going to quit. So there's an economic impact. But number two, people who are vaccinated are spreading mm-hmm. the virus, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, People who get the vaccine are being hospitalized. Mm -hmm. So the notion that if everybody gets vaccinated, we can quit wearing masks is a lie. And if you want to wear a mask to protect yourself, then do so. But I'm not going to wear a mask and I'm not going to go to a business that asks me to wear a mask. And if you're scared or concerned or whatever it is, with getting COVID, I understand, but it's also your right to wear a mask, and I respect that, but for the county of Mecklenburg, what they don't understand is they are creating an economic impact by doing the mask mandate. Sure, they, they definitely will have an, uh, an impact. I think that they believe that they're, able, they're going to be able to withstand it because it's not going to last a long time, and if history is any indication... The last two spikes, it'll be over in a, a couple of weeks. Like I'm, I, like I suspect, until the next one. Right, right until the next one. And this, but this is what an endemic looks like, right? If you were to chart out the spikes of any other kind of uh, aerosolized respiratory virus, right? There's seasonality. There, there are, you know, there are patterns there. And uh, thank you for the call, Stacy. I appreciate. It. There are patterns, and I don't understand why we have thrown out. Everything that we knew about respiratory viruses when COVID hit, it kind of seems like we did. There were things that we as a society did and didn't do that somehow or another just got upended when COVID hit. And I understand at the beginning, there were uh, a lot of unknowns. People didn't know what we were dealing with, how infectious it was and how deadly it was and the, the modeling that we saw. But we we should have a pretty good idea now. And I literally just saw the CDC director, Walensky. She sends out a, uh, or she went out there and made some comments, two weeks to flatten the curve. She literally said that. Like, do you understand that that's a punchline at this point? It is. This is what I mean. The real issue we're having is a lack of trust in all of our institutions. We don't believe the people when they're telling us this stuff. I went over this a couple of weeks ago, and rightfully so in some cases. And if you want to focus on uh, you know, the, the conservatives, the Republican side of this equation, fine. You can go ahead and focus on that. They're not 
I mean, it is a population that is wary of government mandates. It is wary of government intervention of all kinds. They don't exactly trust government to have you know, the individual's best interest, especially uh, at heart, especially when you've got Democrats running the show. And by, by the way, that would be reversed. If Donald Trump was telling everybody to get vaccines, you would see the left, which, spoiler alert, most of the folks on the left, uh, you know, like that's where the anti-vaxxer stuff is in general. Like, could you imagine if Trump were president telling people to now get a booster shot? <laughs> Do you think that the kinds of like the granola chomping moms that send their kids off to the Waldorf school and, uh, you know, you got chicken pox outbreak all over the place? Like, is do you think those are the people that would be like, OK, well, Trump told me to get the jab, so I'm going to go do it. No, of course not. Right. Of course not. So maybe we'll get a Republican president. And he'll come in and be like, hey, maybe get the vaccine that everybody will do it. Um, if you want to target the Republicans for that, fine. That's fine. You go you know, go after them for it. Um, but the, the, the longer this goes and the more it becomes obvious that like this is endemic and now you're going to have to keep giving people shots every eight months, every eight months you expect me like, and what happens by the way, if I miss, what happens if I miss the eight month booster? Do I then have to restart everything all over again? What's the protocol on this? Right. People don't trust these institutions. They just don't. Because, especially for folks on the right, we just went through five years of you guys telling us that you had all this information that Donald Trump was actually an asset of the Russians. They had this video of him in a hotel with hookers. That was actually, no, it was actually Hunter Biden that was in the hotel with the hookers. uh, And they got his laptop. They got his laptop. They got two laptops now from this guy. Like, I'm, I'm at a loss to understand why you guys on the left don't understand why no one on the right trusts your advice on this stuff. So, no, your shaming and your browbeating of this stuff, it's not going to matter. You know what will matter is when people see more of their friends and family getting sick and dying. That actually will prompt more people to go and get vaccinated than any amount of these threats or Roy Cooper's uh, uh, lottery or the $25 DoorDash cards or whatever it is they're giving out. Like, that's not going to move people on the right. What will move them is the belief that the vaccines work. And when you tell people, get the vaccines, oh, and by the way, nothing's going to change for you, that's not a compelling or persuasive argument in favor of vaccination. But what do I know? Just a radio guy. All right, Brett Winterbill's up next. Stay tuned. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thanks for hanging out with me. We'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.